Miss Casablanca now in full color with a happier ending. My name is Matthew Kroll. And that's how I found out that there's no Santa Claus. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the films? We're doing two of them, Gremlins 1 and Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Yes, this was a, a little bit of an endeavor to try and get through this week, but you, as you pointed out to me, these are fairly short and an interesting rewatch, but I think... Just you and me gabbing about gremlins for an hour might have been slightly boring, so I'm glad that you have brought this new person into the room. The virtual room. We are going to be talking to, for the for this journey into cinematic masterpieces, uh, we are going to be talking to comedy wizard, social media barbarian, and co-host of the phenomenal deep dive into all things nerd lore podcast, Wizard and the Bruiser on the Last Podcast Network, Mr. Jake Young. Oh my god, you have cracked open the abyss, we have taken... Taken the darkness within the human soul, within the very core mindscape of the baby boomer generation, and we are feeding it after midnight, and it is mutating beyond recognition right now. Oh my god, I'm I'm ready for Gremlins to attack 2020. Woo! <laughs> Woo! If 2020 needs anything at this point, it is Gremlins on the wing uh, at 20,000 feet. And Ric Flair woos were the icing on the cake, Jake. Thank you very much. <laughs> first things first, I just have to get into this right now. I was terrified of the Gremlins as a kid. This was the just inter- like I did not care about Freddy. I did not care about Jason. I Even the Xenomorph, I could like almost get a pass on because they're in like the Disney World MGM Grand Tour ride at a certain point. Sure. But the Gremlin is as a cinematic creature scared the true honest to god night terrors over the gremlins that's fair i i fell into that okay so it came out what in in 84 86 yeah something like that 84 and so i saw gremlins uh, i was born in 82 i was way too young to have seen it probably five because my father hated me and uh (laughs) i was absolutely terrified of the gremlins as well no question but then gremlins 2 came out and I, I remember being taken to the theater to see Gremlins 2, a PG film at, you know, the, because this was one of the ones along with Indiana Jones that sort of sparked the PG-13 thing through Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and just the, the, the mental gymnastics that my young mind must have done in order to turn the thing that scared me the most into what I considered at the time the pinnacle of humor. Uh, this is why I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about this film because these films have been with me for, for a long time. And then Jake, I was listening to your podcast. Uh, I think back in January was when you did your, uh, your tremendous, uh, deep dive over there. And instantly after I listened to your episode, I went online and I bought like the two pack Blu-ray for like $11. (laughs) And I was like, why don't I own these films? And then uh, I had watched them once back then and I wanted to do a podcast forever. And uh, we'd been doing, uh, you know, eventually uh, the, as we all know, due to times and things and bad, um, the, the cinematic landscape has slowed uh, and rightfully so everyone uh, be safe, wear masks, etc. Um, but now seemed like an okay time to dive back into You the, can just say you need yeah. a good old-fashioned American regression. That's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can just, you can just, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet isn't coming out, but we can just, like, kick deeper and deeper into the dreamscape till you're back to 1985. That's fine. Right. That's okay. That's self-care. I needed it. I 100% needed it. Shahir, what about you, buddy? How, have, did you, what was your history with Gremlins? Uh, I, you know, look, uh, 
I got to be honest with you. I am much more terrified of uh, both Jason, the Xenomorphs, and uh, Freddy Krueger. Um, I believe, you know, so I would have been around five years old when these things came out. Um, I probably watched them a couple of years after that because I lived in Fiji where we didn't see a movie until three years past uh, just because of uh, the, the, the release schedule down there or uh, often a pirated copy. Um, I, I think... The thing with Gremlins is, to, to be honest with you, I have not revisited these films until you asked me to. And I think the reason being is that is that the films have such a marked lore that you 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 kind of think you remember the whole movie without having to remember the movie. Because I think what this movie does so well is set up this lore that has been repeated so often in pop culture, no less than The Simpsons, for example. Um, frozen yogurt, anyone? Um, but 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 the the lore is so good that I'd kind of forgotten what the movies were. Now, I remember that the first was kind of scary and that the second was kind of cuckoo bananas. Um, but my only other thing, though, is that the, 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 the sort of off-brand gremlins that followed, you know, things like Critters, Ghoulies, Troll, those are the ones I think I watched more of. Um, and, and my overall impression of, of all of that was that I wasn't so much scared as much as just grossed out by them. I just found them kind of gross. Um, and I haven't revisited them uh, at, at all until until uh, two nights ago. So this has been an interesting revisit for me because I think it, it actually, um, no less than your wonderful girlfriend texted me and was like, I don't know what to make of these movies. And I was, and I was sort of taken aback by that. And I started thinking about what's the frame of reference that actually makes these movies make sense. And once one particular person came to mind, um, which I'll explain later. I think I the whole understanding of how to read Gremlins for me started to make sense. Okay, all right. Well, uh, before we dive in, uh, Jake, what we a question we tend to ask people who who come on the show, so folks who aren't familiar uh, with them yet uh, can sort of get in their sort of cinematic mind. Uh, what would you say your 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 movie flavor palette du jour is? What kind of films do you gravitate toward uh, and go to either for, you know, I, when you're looking for something artful or just comfort food, a la Gremlins? Uh, I have to say, I just, honestly, I am not a film guy. I know okay. we talk about movies a lot, but it's uh, it's really just, if I honestly want to just sit back and enjoy something without, like, falling too deep into it, I'll usually watch animation. Uh, right. You know, a Miyazaki film, uh, something like Your Name or Summer oh, Wars hmm. or something like that. Uh, that's where I'm truly in my happy place. I've just always been a weird animation nerd. Uh, obviously, all of the great um, early 2000s coming-of-age uh, nerd white guy tenants. You got your Matrix, you got your Fight Club, you got all your Donnie Darkos. <laughs> That's obviously sitting on my very cliched dorm room DVD shelf along with all the others. Um, obviously, uh, but I honestly can't say I have the deepest appreciation for film as uh, as I, I, I'm not a cinephile. By the nature right. of having to do research for all these uh, Whizbrood topics, though, it's... I've definitely begun to see the strings and the reoccurring names and the things that make a hit movie and make a lovable movie. Uh, you know, it's it boils down to just take it. The best movies take something from your childhood and just like recontextualize it in a way that you now find enjoyable. Everything from Back to the Future to Gremlins to E.T. to all of these like classic 
blockbuster movies are really just kind of reinterpretations and like digested new forms for like old black and white movies and Looney Tunes that uh, the directors grew up watching. So uh, anytime someone takes something and kind of uh, metabolizes it into a new form, I'm like... Well, I'm basically what I'm trying to say is Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is my favorite movie. It took me a long time to get there, but now having talked it out, Edgar Wright is my shit. There we go. Right. They just did a. Well, um, I, I I was sorry that I missed it. They just did one of the a, a reading with all the cast. Yeah, oh, for Scott Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah, for Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Um, uh, which I definitely want to check out. I heard was very good. I'm that um, annoying guy that thought Baby Driver should have deserved more credit. I'm that guy. Listen, listen. I uh, really you're, like. You're, you're right at home here, buddy. Yeah. Okay. I really like Baby Driver. It's a t- terrible sadness to me that I cannot watch it anymore. Uh, just <laughs> due to stuff. Um, Did but you no. see that photo of him sitting on the throne with Jelaine Maxwell? No. Wait, when oh was God. that? There's a photo that emerged of uh, Mr. He Who Shall Not Be Named. Uh, <laughs> Voldemort. Yeah. Uh, uh, House of Voldemort. Uh, sitting on the actual throne of England with Jelaine Maxwell. <laughs> wow, how deep does the QAnon uh, conspiracies go? No. I guess at this point, no, 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 no. <laughs> QAnon's fake. This is real. This Whatever, is... <laughs> we're not talking about. No, we're not talking about. Um, no, I, um, I think that's an interesting point, though, which is the 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 idea of um, artists metabolizing something into a new form. And this particular movie, Gremlins, and and I guess. We, if we're talking about Gremlins, we really are talking about the foundation of Amblin Entertainment and mm-hmm. the, the sort of trifecta powerhouse that is Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, and the the circle of people that surrounded them to create some of the most iconic blockbuster films in ni- you know around the 1980s. Now Spielberg himself had come off Jaws at this point; he had kind of defined what that blockbuster was. But around this period in the 80s was really a productive time for him, where he started really getting into the idea of merchandising product and you know product tie-ins and creating these franchises that became pretty iconic you know we're talking about poltergeist around this period we're talking about gremlins um would you say that he was uh breaking through the land before time when merchandising tie-ins made the real profits for a movie okay yeah Yeah. exactly yeah he you know he and uh george lucas you know that that whole sort of uh, West Coast movie brat, um, you know, who 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 did real and and I think it's around this period, you know, and I think this is sort of comically played by Leonard Maltin in the second film, but it's around this period that critics start, you know, realizing that that um, or or the critics start accusing Spielberg uh, in particular of being uh, shallow and not having much depth to his work, it being uh, a sort of um, a good a great imitator but not a great artist himself. And it's only later, as we get into to the sort of 90s period of Spielberg around the, the Schindler's List and Jurassic Park era um, that we start really taking him seriously as an artist and then recontextualizing these early works. Now, all that's to say is that Spielberg is obviously not the director of Gremlins. Joe Dante is. But like the famous stories of uh, Spielberg, direct, you know, sort of uh, ghost directing Poltergeist under Toby Hooper, um, the question of authorship around Gremlins kind of becomes a really interesting one because, you know, Ultimately, it's Spielberg, Kennedy, and Frank Marshall kind of pulling the strings of this, and Dante is kind of a, uh, a director for hire. Um, and the reason I think that's interesting is this idea that you kind of mentioned, which is that what are the key influences around Gremlins? Um, what are the key ideas that are being brought together in the film? And I think they, they go so far as to actually show what those movies are. <laughs> 
um, within the within the context of the film. But it's really interesting how those play out and what they actually signify as you're watching this movie. I, I mean, for me particularly, watching it in 2020 now, like what is the ideals of? Uh, is it Bedford Falls? Was uh, is that the is that the town in Gremlins? That sounds from- very right to me. Yeah, that sounds correct. Right. I mean, it's lit- uh, which. It's literally like uh, the same town that they filmed Twin Pines in, or what, what's yeah, the name from it is, uh, it is Back the, to the Future? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also the same town. Oh, no, Bedford. No, I, I misspoke because I actually, what I was trying to say was Bedford Falls is the It's a Wonderful Life town, oh. which is pretty much a transplant of the town that they're in right now, which I, uh, the Gremlins town, I'll have to remember what it is. Uh, but yes, you're correct. It was filmed in the same, uh, the same studio backlot as Back to the Future. The, the. So, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. So, so on on the Wizard and the Bruiser podcast about Gremlins, you you all, and we're going to touch on a lot of the stuff that you've you've already visited on back in January that piqued my my re my my rebirth <laughs> into Gremlins. But but um, and and please go check out that episode because you guys went like ham. You guys went as you tend to do with your <laughs> topics. Uh, it was just a treasure trove of of information. Like for instance, again, the and I, I I dug into this more after after listening to it about like you know this is Chris Columbus's script, but it was a spec one, right? Like that he wasn't even planning on making. It's it's unfilmable. The even the yeah the technology even the 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 analog technology to have all those puppets all that articulation have them do all the things that it's describing on pay on paper did not exist you couldn't do that with stop motion you couldn't do there was no cg like he wrote it with like just pure balls to the wall abandon yeah and then yeah. spielberg comes along figures out w- with his team and whatnot how to do it they rewrite the script even i think the the second draft or no the his the chris columbus draft was much darker with a lot of decapitations and and more more horror than comedy rather than comedy than horror though we will get into i do want to talk about a lot the actual merging of those two genres across both films and how they do it very very differently and some and and whether or not that's effective but um just the journey that, that that Gremlins one took to get to uh, movie theaters was outlined so well in your podcast. Again, I, I want everyone to go over and listen to that. When when I was rewatching Gremlins now, they, I was trying to figure out. <laughs> I kind of had a bit of a uh, an esoteric moment when uh, Shahir, you mentioned Jamie, my girlfriend, uh, texted you about it afterward. There was a part that Jamie. Uh, said while we were watching Gremlins 1 and it's when they're in the bar and Kate is serving them as mm-hmm. if yeah. they're people. <laughs> Jamie just without without breaking eye contact with the screen just said they formed their own society. <laughs> it's their saloon now. And I was like, yes. And it got me to fall down the rabbit hole of, and this is before Gremlins 2, and we can talk about that later and how the brain Gremlin sort of like kind of says what they want. Uh, but mm-hmm. then it got me into this whole thing of like, okay, yes, Chris Columbus wrote a, a, a creepy, terrifying horror movie about small monsters that ate people in a town. Uh, and then Steven Spielberg, uh, with all of his E.T. Uh, cachet, decided, no, we can make a, some good profit off this with merchandising. Let's throw in Gizmo. Let's make something cute along with this thing and make it sort of a hero moment story. Um, but around it, you see glimpses in in the first Gremlins of, like, weird meaningful, hopefully trying to say something or being very good at pretending to try to say something <laughs> things. 
uh, mainly uh, from the gremlins themselves and what it actually means, what the film posits anyway, of especially when Mr. Wing comes back at the end and takes Gizmo away and he says, like, you're not ready. You're like, you know, the, you, you've done to <laughs> you've done to this Mogwai what, what Western civilization does to the rest of the world. You know, there's a lot of heavy-handed things. And I was curious if any of those bit for either of you while watching it now. Of course, when I was, what, five, I didn't. I was scared no. and the, the, chain, the, the chainsaw was coming at Billy and I was worried about him. <laughs> but, like, what about now? There's definitely something going on, you know, there's there's uh, that the alcohol and the cigarettes and the cartoons and the television and the crass toys and the candy and the Disney movies are what like feed their id and what like reinforces the violence and the further proliferation of the gremlins in a way that's like a grotesque it's not supposed to be like they're not putting on by gremlins too yes they're putting on cool sunglasses and they're funny and cool but there is some kind of sublime grotesquerie to them engaging in like americana that Mm. like they're clearly parodying that like you know uh the the way that any sneering young artist is like this is what you look like, idiots. This is you. You're just fucking <laughs> eating sugar and watching fucking Snow White, and you're all a bunch of fucking lizards, man. Like, that's definitely <laughs> what they're going for. But I don't know if it's that, like, intense of a, uh, of a, of a condemnation. I think it's right. just more of a funny juxtaposition. Yeah. Right. Well, that makes sense. So for me, I think the interesting thing is watching it now. It it is interesting to me how much of a how much of a portrait or how much of a wannabe portrait of Americana this film really is. And I think that, like, I, I it's hard to attribute where that comes from, whether it's Chris Columbus's script or Joe Dante's vision or Steven Spielberg as a producer. And um, you know, I I, I want to attribute to Steven Spielberg because I think it it comes through across uh, a lot of his films. And it's it's this idea of Americana that you know stems originally from It's a Wonderful Life. This sort of placid, beautiful place that is um, that is only corruptible through capitalism, but is essentially uh, at the heart of it a good place. And 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 I sort of took that idea and and I wanted to think about what the gremlins signified against that. Now you know you've kind of hinted uh, already that you know like. At its core element, you know, logically the gremlins don't make any sense because they seem to have a real understanding of this world, having never been in it. Um, you know, and I think logic is a is a sort of incorrect way to watch this movie because the key figure that made that made the entire experience make sense to me was Chuck Jones. And mm. Chuck Jones appears in a ca- as a cameo in this film. Uh, Joe Dante went on to direct a Looney Tunes movie. I think uh, Joe Dante Back was going to direct a film. Yeah, back in action with uh, Brendan Fraser. Um, but he also wanted to direct at, at one point the story of the making of uh, Looney Tunes uh, and Chuck Jones's career entirely. And I think I'm a big fan uh, of, of Chuck Jones and, and uh, all of the, 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 the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes archive. Uh, I, I, when I teach film school, the first film I generally show is Duckamuck. And, and I think uh, Gremlins 2 is the perfect synthesis of what Duckamuck is and what I think Spielberg was trying to get at, which is that, that these films are really poking fun at the idea of what is good. And, and I think, 
you know, like, again, if you, it, it is a little bit of a reach to say it's all Spielberg, but if we look at Spielberg's body of work, particularly his body, of, his television work, um, and things that he did lend his name to, I think Animaniacs was a really key mm-hmm. uh, point where I think Gremlins and Animaniac have a real sort of solid crossover in terms of what oh, they're you're about. right. Just um, annoying little shits fucking with yeah, people. Yeah, just annoying yep. little shits. But, but, but. Gremlins at its core really doesn't make any sense. You know, like the actual narrative of it doesn't really make sense. And I think, I think that to me, again, if if we sort of do this sort of, uh, and it is a, uh, by the way, this is a sort of false uh, equation that I'm kind of working on. So apologies to Mr. Joe Dante if this is the case, because I, by the way, I think uh, peak Joe Dante is the Burbs. If anyone, if if you really want to see Joe Dante at at his very very absolute best and one of the finest you know portrayals of American uh, suburbia kind of gone wrong. Please watch the Burbs. Yeah. I think that movie is is fantastic. Um, but I think the idea here is that is is that I think Spielberg wants to do this sort of portrait of Americana gone wrong. But I th- on the other side of it, I think Joe Dante ultimately wants to do a Looney Tunes cartoon, and that's where the the incongruity between okay, wait, you, what you these two it, films you it, are trying it, to you do. You nailed it. You nailed it because it's three three big guys. It's Chris Columbus <laughs> wanting to do a fucked up horror yeah. movie. And part of the horror yeah. movie logic is all the victims have it coming. So there's yeah. when you watch the movie, the town is full of people that Billy fucking hates. Yep. Uh, the right. old lady at the bank, his like uh, yeah. annoying grizzly uh, veteran neighbor, Mr. Futterman, uh, Futterman, Mr. Yeah. Futterman, uh, yeah. justice for Futterman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, all these. Yeah, even his dad, even his family are kind of like these, like like sad sacks of like failed. Right. And so in that, and in his darker script, all those everyone got murked. Every you know the dog yeah. got and, murked, and the, the gremlins make sense in that story, right? Like the gremlins are sort of uh, an id, you know, mm-hmm. that 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 strike back against these you know super ego form, you know, um, representations. Uh, but Joe Dante wants Looney Tunes, so the Gremlins yeah. are like goofy as fuck. You know, they're just these living cartoon characters that can like bop each other on the head and like sing goofy songs and like do winks at the camera and do just just a font of like bizarre physical comedy. And then you have Spielberg coming in with the heart. So you have these three dominant like uh, trope languages all smushing together in this very singular energy that is. You know, when you when you rewatch Gremlins, you are the 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 energy balance is so off kilter that it yeah. is you are like trying to keep up with its rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And I will and I, I will say on rewatch, you know, like maybe my hot take of the night is I don't think Gremlins is a very good movie. I think it's got oh jeez, really Skype calls getting idea. fuzzy, weird. Oh, gee. oh no, <laughs> oh no, oh, yes, I can. She's cutting out. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Gremlins doesn't strike the tonal consistency of something like the Goonies does, for example, you know, it doesn't strike that, that tonal consistency, uh, of, um, of poltergeist. True. You know, I think there's a reason it it, it is, it's imbalanced in that way. And I think it's good. But the, the, the thing that makes it work is it's got a great hook. Yes. And I, Mm. I would say that imbalance is, is oddly culturally the way we're sort of looking at it now and how it's still a little it's of course gremlins isn't like hyper popular in the current zeitgeist but it is a bottom tier franchise like it did not get a funko pop till like a week ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so but but to that point like there's something i think about the oddity there's a combination it's the oddity of the juxtaposition and you're right here it doesn't work it definitely not as well as goonies definitely not as well as a lot of sort of mashup genre pieces 
but there's but I don't know if it's just the sheer talent of the three people or the multiple people that sort of put this thing together and kind of the love of them actually doing it that overpowers that unbalanced to make it at least for me and I think a, a lot of people uh back then and and maybe even now like actually like it does it, it like it doesn't work but it's still good at least and, and good is obviously air quotes good right like that that's you know it's of- a you know it's a great example of what you're talking about what? is as uh Shahir referenced in uh the the Santa Claus speech Phoebe Cates like right. one yeah. of the most the memorable scenes in the movie yeah. Because as you're watching it, as it goes on, you literally, it is up to you whether this is supposed to be horrifying, uh, darkly humorous, or a touching moment of character development, depending on whose vision of gremlins you're like, whose like rhythm you're actually yeah. engaging with. Because to this day, people will watch that. And if they don't talk to someone or like read about it, they'll, they'll have completely different takeaways from what that scene was supposed to, what the... Uh, what they were going for with that insane thing of, oh, we found my dad's bloated body in the chimney dressed as Santa Claus speech. <laughs> the, and that's the, how the we got to here's there is You can see, you, the interesting thing is you can see that that speech, to me anyway, and this is just because we just did a deep dive into Jaws uh, a couple of weeks ago, is that this is meant to be the USS Indianapolis speech of Gremlins. Uh, it's meant to be like, you, you know, it's, it's Quint's speech from Indi- the USS Andi- Indianapolis in gremlins but it it unfortunately what's so and this is why i mean i i feel like the the stars are incongruent here is that in in jaws for example that is a perfectly calibrated speech for what the entire film is about and in gremlins you know i think you talked about it on your podcast which was the idea that you know dante really wanted this speech to be in there because it sums up the entire mood of the film unfortunately when i watch that speech i go this has nothing to do with the movie <laughs> in any way shape or form even on a as a thematic tangent it's just an aside that makes no sense and and it, it's these are the the elements that don't quite work for me. The thing that I will say is that once we get into into sort of full-blown Chuck Jones in Gremlins 2, that's where I start really sort of enjoying the ride for the sake of enjoying the ride. Uh, it's the first one which I think, to me, this is a really sort of unusual scenario because I know Gremlins 2 gets a lot of flack as the, you know, just, you know, there's that great Jordan Peele, um, Key and Peele sketch where, they, oh, where they're pitching the sequel. Incredible sketch. Um, so good. Yeah, it's a great sketch. And 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 I think, you know, the, the underlying joke there is Gremlins 2 is so bad, whereas Gremlins was so pure. But for me, Gremlins 2, I think, is the essence of what Joe Dante really wanted for this franchise. Um, it's definitely and, not the essence of what the studios or the marketers <laughs> wanted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 absolutely bananas. But I think in terms of like enjoying this idea of Gremlins as Id or Gremlins as mischievous, uh, you know, I think that film kind of plays better into that world. Um, there is something else about watching this in 2020 that Gremlins in particular um, kind of unveils, which is this this sort of uh, tacit implication about the West's influence on the world and and what i mean by that is that you know like there's a real key is that siren real key killing scene, you yeah of of like otherness when it comes to what the gremlin you know the, the, i've kind of outlined one idea of the gremlins being it but the other the idea that i think the film really posits particularly through the futterman character and the opening of the film 
is the idea that the the gremlins are foreigners and mm. and that they're others in some way and there is this the the sort of the the bedford falls fear is the invasion of the other and and it's not the problem is is i think that narrative could be done interestingly like i think jaws plays into that idea you know uh, a little bit more subtly but but you know has some sort of hints of of, of that otherization of the of the outsider the the whoa 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 are you theme? saying there's some kind of loaded cultural symbolism of having <laughs> a cute small immigrant come into an american community only to become a vicious inhuman horror once it starts reproducing and overtaking the culture of uh, the original town because if that's true i don't know what movie you were oh god no uh, no <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. That, that wasn't it. It was just the smoky eyeball for me. That was it, you know, <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't get past that. Um, no, but I think, I, I think it, it, this wasn't a topic that, that, that I think you guys touched on, but, but seemed to be prevalent to me because it also appears, and, and it was, and it was just because I was reading this as, you know, this, there's this, uh, you know, the, the, there's the actual old man character who's, you know, like basically the Asian other who, who uh, brings the, you know, who is the, who's where the gremlins come or originate from. But in the, in the sequel, there is the, the cameraman as well, the Ki Hu Lao character. And, and this character, uh, sorry, no, that's the, the Gire Watanabe character who's uh, also from UHF and 16 Candles. <laughs> but this character of, you know, the sort of uh, buffoonish Asian inventor kind of pops up all through a lot of these films. So The Goonies has Data, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune has the same character as well. It's this sort of idea that that keeps popping up in, in all of this Amblin, you know, work around this period. And I'm not certain if that's why these films were so popular around the American audiences at that time. But, you know, like this this idea that 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 the gremlins are an other and that the the thing to fear is foreignness is fairly fairly explicit in this movie whereas i think it's subtle in other movies well, and also it's also sadly too this is i was going to get into this later but there's a hundred percent there is a hundred percent uh as we you just uh, outlined both of you uh you know asian immigrants or immigrants in particular sort of like an a really odd calling out in this and other amblin era things and it's not even like it's so, it, nowhere in the world is it subtle. I mean, it, it slaps you in the face with it when um, when Billy's dad goes to the shop for the first time and he's trying to pitch Mr. Wing a toothbrush to the, the, the bathroom buddy with the toothbrush toothpaste combo or whatever. And he's like, say you got a bad case of dragon breath. And okay, that's yeah. that's bullshit on his and head. And there's a gong. And then there's a literal gong. gong out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's this kind of, okay. And it's like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. And I think those moments, it's interesting. The moments where that is played up for dumb racist comedy and the other moments of what you're talking about the gremlins representing it's the fact that sort of both of those things hit at the same time where you're like oh yeah okay but my point here is as well is that it doesn't actually all there's no there's no congruity to all of this as an idea it's not even like i i like i don't think the the gremlins representing foreignness or id is even played it's an undercurrent succinctly it's 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 a mishmash and to me again Chuck Jones is the perfect reference to understanding all of this. Which is why, uh, if if we're ready, gentlemen, I think we should probably start discussing Gremlins to the new batch. 
Um, <laughs> oh, actually, before we do, real quick, just so everyone's clear, uh, the IMDb movie description of Gremlins 1 is fairly apt. A boy inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters, great alliteration, on a small town. <laughs> That's fairly correct, right? That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's nothing about heavier Sounds in like there. Sounds like a movie. Sounds like a movie. And and then, <laughs> the IMDb description of Gremlins 2, the new batch, is just, the Gremlins are back. And this time, <laughs> they've taken control of a New York City media mogul's high-tech skyscraper. <laughs> Great. Now, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, now, of the two, which are, wh- how are you guys sort of feeling about which are your favorites? Which is your favorite? Jake? Um, having rewatched both, I, I feel more, uh, I feel like the first one because of its truly chaotic origins and that singular energy, I have more, it's something I'd be willing to rewatch again. Whereas Gremlins 2 as just a wall of practical effects and noises is just so overwhelming to me. And okay. Okay. Like I said before. I am terrified of the gremlins and the, especially the brain gremlin uh, mm-hmm. fucked me up as a kid. Uh, Where did he get those glasses? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, he's a wonder of like, of practical effects engineering. It's so many facial articulation muscles that had to be uh, it's like programmed individually on an audio track at like half speed that they then, you know, sped up to regular speed. So the end result is, he is just moving. He is just moving and talking and he is real at a time when I, you know, I'm six years old and I don't, I don't know what an Amiga is. I don't know what a actuating servo is. I just mm-hmm. see that this thing is real. Monsters are real. And again, gremlins are child sized. Right. So a larger monster. Okay. You're just, you're just done. You're dead before you even know what happens. A gremlin is going to give a six-year-old a fight. It's going to be a grisly slow end if a gremlin gets you, especially if you're a kid. Um, so I still am like a little bit on edge when I see the brain gremlin as an adult man. <laughs> uh, How about you, Matt? Which way do you lean between the first? Uh, between, well, there's only two, and would you want to see a third, I guess? Uh, no, I see, this is the thing. I, I, I pray there is never another Gremlins. Uh, th- that Gremlins mm-hmm. 3 is something I do not want. I think it would actually, more than almost any other franchise, more than Bill and Ted, I think that a third film in this series would destroy the magic that the series ha- it would have it would take a filmmaker i'm not even sure that one skilled enough exists to make it fit hey, and joe make- dante is still making movies by listen, the way listen listen he might be the only human being alive even then it's such a it's such a crapshoot i would rather not destroy this weird careful jenga balanced a hodgepodge of tones that we have across both. Um, the, I, uh, just for your information, there was a uh, spiritual sequel to Gremlins that took place in the video game Lego Dimensions. Really? Oh, oh in yeah. the Lego Dimensions failed Toys to Life tie-in video game series, they had a Gremlins expansion pack that brought in a bunch of the original cast and had them furthering the plot and continuing their adventures and going on various Gremlin-based missions involving bricks and studs. Did you play this game? 
I watched a Let's Play video for research when I did the episode in January. And so if there is anyone out there who is actively wondering, like, oh, man, is Billy and Kate, are they, you know, what is their life like? Like, <laughs> find a copy of Lego fucking Dimensions. Pray that the servers are still online. Wow. And you can en- you can figure that out for yourself. That's amazing. And, you know, that actually makes more sense. We, we um, I was just on a... On a- Another podcast friends of the show, Oeuvre Busters, uh, they were doing all the Batman films, and I was on their mm. Lego Batman episode, and we were talking about all the cross, uh, the crossovers in that film, and like basically like the how that like super branding still worked in the flow of that because Lego is entirely super branding, and therefore it <laughs> makes sense. It's a met, you know, whatever. But that makes a lot more sense to me that the Gremlins were in that movie, other than just like pulling out something from the Warner Brothers vault that they are in an actual Lego game that was probably released maybe a year or so around Lego Batman, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. That was it. Thank you for that. I didn't I I was unaware. And now I'll have to see how Billy and Kate are doing uh sometime. <laughs> I sorry, I got away from the question. Gremlins 2. Uh Gremlins 2 is where I'm at. Uh I I I stand hard with uh with 8-year-old me. Um Rewatching both of them, I enjoyed them immensely. Gremlins 2 is the antithesis of what I've loved about madcap nonsense. Uh, again, it's not something that I want all the time. Uh, this is not, I, I, I don't want another movie to be like Gremlins 2. I like that Gremlins 2 exists and it's on my shelf, much like yours, Jake, of, of the standard, uh, you know, generic white man's Blu-ray case on the side of his apartment. Uh, but I, uh, I just, too many things in that movie feel magical to me. And in a way that other movie winks, like when a film breaks the fourth wall or does something like that, that that just doesn't flow because breaking the fourth wall feels like it's the entire point of Gremlins 2. Fuse that again with, I think, an actual, at least it feels like, and I hope this is true, do not ruin this for me, either of you, that everyone on the set and like who was making Gremlins 2, I know that like... Uh, they, like it, they didn't really originally want it to be made, so they're like, oh, "I'll do whatever," and they went madcap with it. But it feels like everyone's having a really good time. And unfortunately, uh, uh, just by the very nature that they were working with animatronics and practical effects puppets, nobody has ever had a good time <laughs> under fair. those circumstances. Then they are <laughs> phenomenal actors and film crafts uh, people, um, because yeah, I. I just the it, it, there's just something so joyous about the Gremlins two never it, while it, there are like scary sort of like unnerving moments I never felt dangerous Gremlins one feels dangerous <laughs> for whatever reason uh, this like not many people die really that we see in Gremlins two like it's not like uh, people aren't getting. Again, not not grotesquely, but like run through with bulldozers or mm-hmm. uh, injected with random chem. Like this is, uh, it's more madcap. So I would go counterpoint. Counterpoint. Sure. Uh, the scene early in the movie where uh, John Aston, the man who played original Gomez Adams, yep, as the janitor is mm-hmm. fixing the uh, water fountain, and young Gizmo. Knowing full well the horrors and the hurt that happens when he gets wet and how badly he just wants to be a good friend and not hurt his uh, beloved Billy, sees 
understands that the water will hurt his friends. He runs away at full might and still gets squirt as he rises on the ground in pain, his flesh bubbling forward as he mm-hmm. screams in agony, forcefully giving birth against his will multiple <laughs> times, is the most psychologically traumatizing piece of children's media ever put to film. <laughs> I think uh, any new parent shouldn't watch any of the Gremlins movies for, uh, especially Gremlins <laughs> 2, when you're seeing the, the sort of boils mesta- metastasize on, yep. uh, on the Gremlins well, uh, let's, and let's, slowly pop out, you know, let's talk mini about Gremlins. Gizmo in general then, because Gizmo, okay, first and foremost, every heroic moment that Gizmo has across both of these movies is, is fueled by pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we're talking about right. the car to get to the end to sort of sa- help save Billy and Gremlins 1 or the phenomenal survival war you gotta become war Rambo <laughs> obsession that, that Gizmo has again it's like it's almost like the movie having a counter argument to what the movie might be about because it's like no mm-hmm. look it can do good things Americana um, <laughs> but Gizmo Gizmo is is a is a mogwai through and through. <laughs> he he and by that I mean like all he had to do was listen to Billy and stay in that in the in the thing in the drawer and he didn't because he's a, a curious and wonderful creature that get that the world just screws over consistently. <laughs> uh that is a terrifying scene. Well, but in, in the first film, in the first film, it's it's kind of the other way around which is that it's um it's it's you know Gizmo is the one who wants to stay in one place and not you know like not participate, but he's dragged into it. Whereas in the second one, he's this curious critter that kind of you know like goes out exploring when he shouldn't be, it, including it, in broad you know, again, daylight. Consist- which in-, in broad daylight of all things, yeah. Oh, in the, the beginning and the, the, the yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Gremlins 2, and there's just a picked up by the, uh, shot of Gizmo in full daylight, just not yeah. dying. <laughs> I, I love that he's picked up by the two twin brothers that played the cop from Terminator 2 that gets shot by the T-1000. <laughs> yep. I was like, oh my God, it's that guy. Um, or those guys. Um, yeah, no, I think, look, for me, uh, it's the madcap zaniness that I appreciate in, in Gremlins 2. But I think Gremlins 2 is a movie with no story. It's a, it's a series of sort of escalating uh, set pieces that, that seem to be maybe propelled most by Rick Baker. Uh, you know, like we, if we're sort of talking about the authorship of the film, I think Rick Baker kind of becomes a key figure in the development of what the story is. No, 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 no. Gremlins 2 has a clear structure. There's the, uh, you know, the exposition, the rising action, the uh, lengthy series of jokes about Grandpa Munster that yep. go on for too long, the uh, denouement, all clear parts of a classic All clear, story. All, all clear, all clear places. But I, I think what I love is the the sort of escalating... Uh, madness of the, I guess, the second to third act in that movie where it's just, okay, what happens if a gremlin takes this chemical? What happens if a gremlin takes this chemical? What happens if there's a girl gremlin? What happens if... Uh, if um, Vegetable gremlin, it's in the movie. Vegetable yeah. yeah, why not? Just throw it in there. You know, like, it just feels like, oh, spider gremlins as well, I think is a, is a sort of a storyline that seems to go nowhere, for, you know, like uh, uh, within the context of the film. But I think, you know, like... No, no, Mohawk is the spider gremlin and therefore confronting him is the mirror to uh gizmo confronting spike in the first movie he's the he's the big boss he's the he's the uh the gwyn of this of this one (laughs) 
<laughs> he's dispatched rather quickly, though, right? Like, he's dispatched rather easily. He's like, you know, Gizmo works out terribly for a couple of scenes and then fires a, fires a, 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 a single marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how many paper clips I bent into freaking point arrows after this movie? Like, consistently. Shahir, when we were working at MTV, I don't know if you ever saw some laying around, but I made them, and that was like 20-something years later. So that scene... Right, you you're 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 preparing in case the spider gremlin comes. Just in case the spider gremlin comes. Just in case I need to rescue Marla Bloodstone, uh, who was my first. I think again, I was eight years old. Like cinematic crush. That's when I like first was seeing a film, and I was like, oh wow, I like her, even though she's terrible. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> she's Marla the she's the she's Bloodstone. the sort of predatory boss, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who becomes the who becomes the uh, the clamp uh, PR person by the end of the film? Oh man, clamp. Clamp. Daniel Clamp. <laughs> was he meant what a, to what be? A, what a hit of hair on that guy. What a head of hair. He was, he was clearly teeth. written to be a Trump uh, yeah. like reference, mm. but the actor they cast was just like too nice and pleasant, mm. so they had to do a 180 and kind of pull an eccentric Ted Turner, oblivious, just rich guy kind of move. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, Daniel Clamp, it's very clear what they were going of for. Of course. And, and it's interesting. Yeah. Something I like in... Something I like in both of these movies, which is, I think, maybe it's more of a rarity today because I think, uh, rightfully so, I feel like a lot of us are more cynical now. Um, <laughs> but, like, Gremlin, this is sort of like, there's an earnestness around interaction in both of these films. For instance, the first thing that I saw that I, in Gremlins 1 that I never really remembered and it didn't strike out, uh, stick out to me before was when the Gremlins, so when Billy gets uh, Gizmo wet and the other Mogwai appear, in any movie made in the last 10, 15 years, that character would try to keep it a secret. And like, don't tell, oh no, oh no. Like they do this thing where it's like, there's something wrong and I have to hide it from my family and like to protect people or whatever. And this time he's like, mom, come look at this. Even when the <laughs> eggs come out, like everyone's very earnest with what they're doing. And that kind of goes into Gremlins 2 where even like, there are only hyper cartoonishly evil people that then try to get redemption and uh, and fail in in other than i think the the the, the rich woman in the in gremlins one like even <laughs> even dr catheter played by god the uh, immortal christopher lee check wizard and the bruiser upcoming episode on the uh six foot five my uh man who started the most english language films of any actor until his death holy shit that's gonna be and great also, have, have you got the great so I'm from New Zealand. Have you got the great story of Christopher Lee explaining to Peter Jackson how a knife wound is supposed to? Yeah, yeah. It's like during the, was it the, yeah, it was the original Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson's giving him directions like, and then you get stabbed in the back and you go like, ah, and then they do the scene. And he's just like, <gasps> and Peter Jackson's like, God, I said, go, ah, and Christopher Lee's like, I've been stabbed. Do you know what sound a man makes when you stab him in the back? I do. <laughs> I, can you imagine that man, you like directing that man to react to gremlins? You know, like just, just like having to direct someone so, um, uh, so austere and so sort of pronounced in terms of their their rigidity, like to have to direct them to 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 like be silly in front of a gremlin. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, one person I just wanted to shout out from the first movie is Lynn Peltzer, the mom from from Gremlins One. Yes, this 
woman is a bad she dispatches i think three gremlins on her own at the very beginning of the film mm-hmm. um you know one through a microwave one other through a blender i can't remember quite or oh, she knifes another one but she is straight up murdering you know like she's she's she should be the hero of these films at this point she's just like murdering gremlins left and right uh with with full of ba- with, with no uh with no with no hesitation of yeah, no hesitation at all. She is ready to attack. Even though the beginning of the film kind of places her sort of like as this, you know, uh, domesticated housewife who's just watching soap opera. Oh, she's watching It's a Wonderful Life uh, while chopping onions. But she is she is wonderful. Um, and I was curious, like, there's a lot of that first movie where things just don't go anywhere. Like, her character just kind of gets bopped in the head and sent off to the doctor's house and doesn't appear again. Judge Reinhold kind of you know like oh, ends up well, at the beginning of the movie and then does and then, and then doesn't appear again and again that's, that's a product the of that, all the script revisions yeah 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 whereas i think you know if that happens in gremlins 2 i'm kind of okay with it because we've also got hulk hogan screaming at the audience at some point or john wayne if you got it on vhs <laughs> that scene has been deleted by history and the true good version the hulk hogan version <laughs> is the only part is that's the fourth wall break scene in gremlins 2 the vhs john wayne bullshit is not real it never happened it's a was it a fever special dream? feature yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a special that's how i didn't even realize it existed and then i was like oh gremlin special features and i was like wait what and then of course <laughs> i get the four by three and at first i was kind of impressed uh because they do the same puppet nonsense but they do it in like static and i was like oh cool okay neat mm. And I think th- that's clever. Yeah. And, and then it's just an absolute it's just not on the it's nowhere near the level of it's it's it feels very B team. It feels very not like you in can the same you thing. can use the words we're all thinking of, um unfunny shit show. There we it's go. It's fine. It was yeah. an unfunny shit show. The But uh, I gotta admit, yeah. that scene there the Hulk is Hogan the duck amuck scene. The whole right? like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's and that's I, I just kinda love that the film that had sort of rooted itself in like the the sort of pop sweet Americana of Spielberg's youth in the first film just says fuck it in the second and goes wild and crazy with it. I love in the before the the usher goes in to get Hulk Hogan in the movie theater in the yeah, movie, yeah. the yeah. woman with the two kids who is being harassed by the rich woman in, in the first Gremlins is there and she's like, this is worse than the first one. And it's like, <laughs> it, like I was just like, oh, it, Okay, movie, you got me. Yeah. You got me. Um, uh, a mom accosted uh, Joe Dante in like an early screening he was at because the microwave scene was too gruesome for her kids. Really? Yeah. So, so it's it's based on like, I think that interaction. But I love that he pulled the, the what seems to be anyway, I haven't done the research to sort of know if this is fact, but felt like it, that was the, the, woman, the, the same actress who played the, yeah. yeah. Um, right. And and her character in that first movie again goes nowhere. She's like the uh, you know like she's uh, begging this woman to like get her rent relief or something like that. And then that story doesn't go anywhere other than the old woman being like thrown out of a window. I mean, in a in a uh, a, a, a deserved and terrifying way. Um, that woman talked about murdering dogs more than I think almost any character I've seen in a film. Other than hundred and one Dalmatians. Does, does Cruella DeVille consistently talk about it or just want to do... I haven't seen 101 Dalmatians in a long time. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, so Shahir, are you saying Gremlins too? Sorry, we got derailed hard. Yeah, yeah, look. Uh, 
I, I'm also the person that defends Oceans 12 as being the best of the Ocean series, <laughs> and I will I will go on record and say that I think if I'm if I'm being on brand here, I think Gremlins 2 is better than Gremlins 1. All right. Uh, Gremlins 2, when you think about all the things they're satirizing and how it just immediately came to fruition, like half the jokes in the movie in Gremlins 2 is like, could you imagine if there was just a cooking channel or just a golf channel? What a hilarious exaggeration of where our culture is. Like so much. Yeah. It feels very Paul Verhoeven in that way. It kind of feels like Robocop or Starship Oh, Troopers super Verhoeven. Super yeah. duper Verhoeven-y. The way that this, uh, the clamp building is the perfect microcosm to have all of this stuff in a, in a loose enough structure. Oh, it's a super technological skyscraper in Manhattan. Of course it has a genetics lab. <laughs> oh, uh, like, of course it has a, a television station with a cooking show, you know, like all of these things. Um, and then it's the, the perfect reasoning of like, can't get outside and they have to do the, the stupid, the stupid crane with the, with the fucking like nighttime backdrop that they try to put up <laughs> to trick the gremlins. Um, wonderful planning there. Uh, the, yeah, I just think the level of satire, like you said, Jake in gremlins too, it, it's, it's actually, I think why it probably didn't do as well as they want it to and, and why everyone behind it other than the director was kind of pushing against the way they were going because all this is is a big middle finger to the entirety of the system that is making it mm -hmm. and I, I, I don't know about that I think I think it's in line with like you know things like Animaniacs for example I think it's in line with that world but of of cart you know like it's 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 that there is a there's a branding with Warner Brothers which says we're willing to have fun with our own brand that mm. I think is in line with Gremlins too. But you know, like I, oh, the fact yeah, that they yeah. get a Warner Brothers tattoo at some point in the movie. But they I get a they... Warner Brothers tattoo. They have the original animation done by an out of by retirement Chuck Jones, Chuck Jones yep. uh, yeah. at the beginning and end. Uh, that on-the-nose joke where the Bat Gremlin leaves a Batman logo hole in the wall. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah no, they are, they are, they are, you can't bite the hand that feeds you that winkily without the hand that feeds you being like, oh, what cute little nibbles on my hand. Yeah, right. Let me, and, let me and, rephrase. And let me rephrase that. Because I'm not saying that, like, it's a middle finger and, and then Warner Brothers is like, oh, I never. Like, I, yeah. I, I think it's more like Dante brought these ideas to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers like, yeah, th yeah, this is going to be fun. This is going to be like, and well, like, it's it was like, I think more of a push than they were expecting. And I don't know if audiences... I don't know. There's there's a weird no, well, sort of the, disconnect. The thing there. to think about there is that Spielberg is good at cross branding. You know, like he is uh, Spielberg, Amblin, Warner Brothers. They're all good at cross branding, and it's and it's it's the reason why Ready Player One could go into production is because Spielberg was at the helm and he could bring in all those franchises together into one property. And you know, I think Animaniacs does that really well. I think um, a lot of Amblin. You know, like the fact that the the, the Batman logo is on this is is a is no small part. Batman was in development around that period. So it's, it's, it's for, for them. I think what they're, what they're sort of aiming at is being a less sacred Disney, you know, Disney <laughs> doesn't allow the sort of cross contamination of its products like this, but mm -hmm. Warner brothers is like a full let's just throw it in the soup and see what comes out. Or they and didn't until like now. Yeah. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're looking, I mean, you need look no further than wreck it Ralph or Ralph breaks the internet or whatever to see the cross pollination start chugging. Yeah. Um, which again was not bad. Um, not bad. Was, well, here's a question. And I actually don't know this. Was Spielberg even involved in at all with gremlins too? I don't feel like he would. I didn't see his name as much as I did during 
the making of Gremlins one. Yeah. Yeah. I I so, mean I. I I don't. Yeah, I, know. I think he would have. He would have retained an executive producer credit, but I don't believe he would have been hands on. It's surprising to me how hands on he would have been um, on Gremlins One, given that he was uh, prepping Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom at the same time. And you know they released a, a pretty. Well, Ghostbusters came around that period, and was it which Indiana Jones came around? I, I think it was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that came close to Gremlins One as well. So it's surprising <laughs> that he had he had his hand in so many different things at Puppets. while still making his own stuff uh this is this is the from my old notes from the episode uh apparently executive producer steven spielberg uh had approached dante during after watching the original cut and said that there were too many gremlins to which dante <laughs> responded well the movie isn't called people too <laughs> <laughs> oh he's wonderful <laughs> I, mean, I think that, Joe Dante again. It, I, I did, a, did a little bit of a deep dive into like looking at what Joe Dante has been up to, and he is still directing movies. And they're, what's what's sort of painful about them is they're getting smaller in scale and sort of goofier in scale. Like there's a movie called Bearing the X, which had Anton Yelchin in it, um, a rest in peace. But but it was like it's a sort of weird uh, comedy about a guy whose ex-girlfriend comes back from the dead. And it's like, oh, this was the guy who directed Gremlins and Small Soldiers and The Burbs, you know, like these kind of big idea, big comedy ideas. Oh, Inner Space. I didn't realize movie. he oh, did Do you Interspace. think there's a reason why major studios didn't let him get back in action? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird because I, again, I, I, I mean, yeah, obviously financially it wasn't great, but yeah, Inner Space is another one that's like fantastic. I absolutely love Inner Space. I haven't thought about um, that But it just, movie you know, like seeing where his career is kind of going right now is being a little bit like, oh. It seems guess, like he's been know, doing a lot, like, of, a lot of TV episodes. He was doing some Hawaii Five-0 an episode of MacGyver uh, in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, not the original oh. MacGyver. Uh, um, oh, that's too bad. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'll check out. I'll check out something new he did. I mean, it just look. And I guess we're oh we'll, shit. He did a Masters of Horror episode based on the Screwfly solution. That's gonna be Whoa. intense. So I don't know what the Screwfly solution is. Please to uh, fill me in. Uh, it's a really fucked up uh, sci-fi horror short story. I remember reading as a teenager, but it's uh, like a dystopian uh, uh, apocalypse. Uh, where like all the men on earth go crazy and try and kill all the women on earth. It's like real heavy shit. <laughs> okay. I'll be curious to see that. Uh, with Jason Priestley, no less. Oh, so well, uh, now I got it. Yeah, <laughs> now it makes sense. Sign me up. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, as we, as we wrap up this converse, this deep dive into something I've been begging Shahir to talk about for literally what <laughs> the dark side of Gremlin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the for the last five months, um, I think these films have quite a bit beyond what is on the surface to offer, which is why I think, and, and, and even if that thing is weirdly, I know this is sort of a backtrack, but even if that thing is just more surface, like. <laughs> Like, it's just something that there's a mashup, and it, again, between the tonal differences, between the mashings of the two or three scripts from number one, or the just madcap, nonsensical Looney Tunes Animaniac stuff of two, uh, I really I really think it, it's weird how they can skate by on both, like, this perfect combination of, like, filmmaking prowess, not necessarily storytelling, but the actual, like, crafting of making gremlins exist in a puppeted uh, animatronic world, and just sort of a pure love of movie making and even poking fun at the society the movie is being made in. 
Uh, I think there's there's weirdly, even though there were many Im- imitators, Jake, you talked about them on on Whizbrew. You talked about you know a little bit about uh, critters and um, oh, what was uh, ghoulies, ghoulies, ghoulies. Yeah. But none of those have come close. Like I can remember the critters box, like the <laughs> mod, like I can I can I could draw you a poorly drawn critter, but I know nothing about that film. But these movies, I feel like I've been able to retain a lot of, and. Uh, I don't know. I think there's something oddly special. I think it is that tonal incongruity that actually is the 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 secret sauce in whatever uh, made these films work. Uh, with, of course, the exception of the the the. I feel like I just gushed, so now I'll just take something back real quick. The Lady Gremlin. <laughs> oh, Greta. Greta. You're talking about Greta or Lady Gremlina? Is that what her name is? Uh, look, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, ugh. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, the I, I, go for it. No, no. I, I was just going to say. I think that the thing there is that critters and ghoulies and troll. Like, apart from Troll Two, which is so don't great. forget Everyone's the munchies. <laughs> yeah, um, the munchies. All of that stuff. None of them have as endearing a hook as the three rules of of of, of mm. uh, owning a mogwai. Good I point. think those. I think. Uh, Christopher Columbus really stumbled onto something, and that wasn't 1492, the conquest of America. I mean, Chris Columbus, sorry, um, stumbled onto this idea that there were these three. It's just such a great screenwriting idea. You know, like there are the three rules. We set them up at the beginning of the film, and then we're going to slowly break all of them and see what the consequences of each of them are. And I think one of the enduring images for me in uh, Gremlins 1 uh, is, uh, you know, and that I was like, this should be the poster of the movie, is uh, Stripe plunging into the pool like i was just like oh my god you know what is the world you know like how is this going to transform everything we've seen up until this point um so i think the reason you know this is obviously a a a sort of a studio picture as opposed to you know critters and ghoulies which are sort of b pictures for for uh smaller for smaller studios and munchies Um, of course is an independent cult phenomenon (laughs) the world has never recovered from (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so they have more money to throw at this. But I think the enduring legacy is how clever the screenwriting setup of the first film is. I mean, in the second film, there's like a scene early on where two guys are literally bullying Billy, being like, whoa, 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 okay, so what if you ate something at like 11.50, but then there was still something in your teeth and you like pick that? Is that after midnight? Or like, what if you're in a plane and you switch time zones? Like just just tearing holes in the fabric of the reality of these movies. Of course. And that, and that, and that, um, that's why it's so much fun because the, these these rules make no sense. The logic <laughs> of the first film makes no sense. But I think those three rules are just great uh, coat hangers for a film. You know, they're just mm-hmm. great starting points for a film. It's like, okay, don't get them wet, don't feed them after midnight, and uh, don't expose them to light. It's it's just so... It's, it's, the, what's great about those three things is they're so elemental. You know, like how do you avoid water? How do you avoid light? What do you do for food? They're so elemental yeah. ideas, and they they endure so so well um, that they they kind of outdo every mistake or 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 um, bad step that the film takes. And of course, the the final rule: uh, whatever you do, don't genetically uh, experiment on one till it becomes a two D animated lightning creature. Then get them oh, all in a room lightning. and turn on the sprinklers. Then use a special <laughs> phone intercom to get the lightning gremlin to shoot them all with animated lightning. Their true weakness. 
I I, I love the, the 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 Looney Tunes logic of that. All. I just I just like as they were doing it, I was like, yeah, of course, that's what you're yeah. gonna need to do. You got to get them wet. You got to get them wet, and then you got to shoot phone lightning at them. Also, so at the end of Gremlins two. Two gremlins. Well, one and a half gremlins live. The uh, one gremlin and a Maglina, Maglina, right? Well, Mogwai Gizmo lives, but you know, I never really was clear if the bat gremlin, aka gargoyle gremlin, uh, is no, actually. No, it's in dead. a living prison, uh, a, a hell from which it cannot die or wake. It will. It will go insane, much like, um, uh, much like the love interest Cars. in the old guard. Uh, oh. <laughs> just come out, come out swinging, going back. Uh, Jake, fun. I was going for the JoJo reference. You went for Netflix film, I, The Old Guy. I went with the because we just talked about it last <laughs> week. It's actually weirdly uh. still in my mind for a couple of reasons, but that's neither is, here nor is there. Is there a recommend on that? Is there a solid recommend on that? Here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, I will straight up. Okay. Yes, no. uh, it's not you, going to and blow, a no from me and a no from Sheer. It will not blow your mind. It is a solid action movie with, with the smaller the action scene in it, the better it is. It, it kind of tapers out by the third act when there's just like generic okay, hallway here's, shooting. Here's the, here's the real question. Uh, do I watch it with my fiance who loved Atomic Blonde and wants to see uh, kick-ass women in action film? Or is it just like kind of just shooty, shooty, bang, bang? No, it nothing? is worth it. There is fight choreography okay. that is that is worth a damn. Specifically, uh, in there's a one-on-one uh, sh- uh, between Charlize Theron Don't and the new recruit. Don't give it away. Uh, that is very, very okay. good. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, also, Good. there's one specific line. I don't even need to tell you whatever. That is the mo- one of the most moving, weird things that you like. Not weird, just like that. It's odd that it's in this film, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, this is great." And like, so you'll you'll get there. I would say watch it. Shahir would not. <laughs> I, I think it's a movie that that uh, aims high, doesn't quite get there, and uh, pitches a bit of movie as a sequel than it does. Uh, than it delivers I hate as a, those. As I hate those. Yeah, oh, and that always gets me. But yeah, anyway, that always makes me mad. Jake, final thoughts on? I mean, you, you've been you, you you've been talking about Gremlins for quite a bit, both on your show and here. What's the what's the last word? If you could just put a pin and, and just stamp this closed, what do you what do you have to say about Gremlins slash Gremlins two? Uh, it, it genuinely is a uh, for someone of the millennial generation, it is a true window into the mindscape of the boomer generation. <laughs> As they were like young, snarky, cynical, like uh, creators. And like, this is, you know, all the Chuck Jones references, all like the weird stabs at American conformity, all the sneering at the 80s. Like, if you wanted to know what your like cool uh, uncle was thinking at the time, Gremlins is an odd window into all the forces that shape that attitude. It is like the product of all these different consumed media. Uh, kind of just vomited out into a single product. And it is fascinating in that regard. Um, the creatures themselves, again, their exact right size to kill a child in the most uh, unpleasant way possible. I'm still scared of them. They're just the exact right height. They got the teeth. They got the claws. It's going to take a while. You're not. It's right. not going to be easy. Yeah. yeah. But they'll get the job done. It's unfortunate. Or you could befriend them and, you know, like starting, you know, like you could, I wonder if you could make friends with a gremlin like you could a mogwai. You just have to they act should, like a gremlin. Well, there were, you know what? I did like in Gremlins 2 that like, and in a way in the bar scene in Gremlins 1 that if you are just kind of a sleaze bag, the gremlins are like, yeah, you're all right. <laughs> 
there, there's literally again. <laughs> sorry, going back. There's a robber gremlin. Like they're 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 building. To my girlfriend's point, they're building their own society. They're looking <laughs> at things and just becoming. It's insane. Uh, anyway, everybody. This has been the only podcast about the film Gremlins and Gremlins 2 The New Batch. That is obviously a lie because, Jake, <laughs> you have a wonderful podcast, uh, uh, Wizard and the Bruiser. Uh, tell us a little bit more about it and then where folks can find it. Uh, every week on Wizard and the Bruiser, me and my co-host Holden McNeely take a deep dive into uh, a video game, a movie, a TV show, uh we just did an episode on the history of energy drinks. We've done one on Mountain Dew and Doritos. Basically, anything that could be conceivably uh, put in the front can't, uh, register area of a GameStop. Uh, <laughs> if there's, if you could feasibly make a Funko pop out of it, if there's a subreddit on it, we'll, we've done it. Um, and uh, we try and piss. it starts out with like a gush about hey do you remember this thing and then it it devolves into Pepe Sylvia corkboards within minutes <laughs> no it's absolutely fantastic I recommend everyone check it out actually I'm uh, I'm so sad again for a, a trillion reasons uh, that we're living through COVID times but because uh, your live shows are also fantastic when they uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. where you and I ran into each other for the first time with you and page seven over at uh, the uh, I'm trying to remember which which uh, venue it was in New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's uh, fantastic. Once that is safe, I also recommend uh, when when <laughs> when all venues open up, uh, everyone should go check that out. Uh, and yeah, Shahir, when you are not surprisingly liking Gremlins too, I did not anticipate that at all. Where can folks find you? You can find me breaking the fourth wall on my website at www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-A-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are diving head first to reproduce yourself a million times over, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me hitting uh, Control-C, Control-V very quickly at <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-L.com. For my life and works, also Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Of course, please go check out the uh, good works we're doing over at Extra Credits, I believe... Next week, by the time this comes out, we'll be wrapping up our Iliad series on extra mythology, and uh, we'll also be wrapping up our uh, we're doing our writer for history. Rob is doing our lies episode on exploring the Pacific, telling you all of the things we got wrong. Um, so that'll be very fun. Uh, yeah, again, Jake, thank you so much for joining us. Oh no, this was a blast. And yeah, I, I guess until next time, Shahir, I, we have no idea what we're doing next. No, we don't. But I think we should just take cues from Jake and have him on every week and see what. No, uh, see what he can, no, what that's he too much of a commitment it, for the man. Patreon.com/slash/whispery, yes. five dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's how you get him. Get to the five hundred dollar a week tier, and I'll, I'll show up. Also, <laughs> hey, by the way, don't forget to write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. We talk about stuff online. Okay. With people that like to listen to us, and we don't have a Patreon, so just go visit and 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 uh, contribute to Jake's for Whizbrew, uh, or throw money into the air and hopefully we'll catch him. No, 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 the, the, the other one, the first the other one. one, the other one, the first one. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.